thousand generations, Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the coronavirus. Here we are, Drew. We are in a, uh, I don't want to say pre-apocalyptic world, um, but here we are. How's it going? Well, it's not post yet, so yeah, I mean, it's not, post. We, we're, it's not mid. It's so technically it is pre. Now, when when yeah. it, when it becomes post is is the question, but for now it's pre. <laughs> you, could, you could say it's the prequel to the apocalypse. Well, we're not. We're not. Well, well, well. I mean, keep theme with with the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, here we are, man. Well, here I am, and there you are, wherever you are. Yes. Yes, we are doing this via Skype, which, in most cases, I like to avoid doing, because I think it loses something from when we are normally uh, together recording the show. But, uh, given the situation, given what's happening in the world right now, um, you know, this is what we can do, and we still wanted to give you the good listeners a show and this is how we're going to be doing it for you know time to come and we're going to do our best to uh kind of take your minds off things uh you know fill your head with you know fun discussion maybe get some laughs out of you and just kind of uh you know distract you for what little time we can talking about a galaxy far far away do you think they have uh, COVID nineteen in a galaxy far, far away? I yeah, I don't think so. But give it time; it'll get there. Ugh. It 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 gets well, everywhere. Well, technically, Carl, so, Carl, technically, it already happened. I mean, it was a long time ago. Yeah, that's valid. Valid. <laughs> Obviously, early on in the show, with things we're going to talk about, we can't avoid what's going on. We're going to have to talk about it. Um, how, how was your week? Uh, dude, it's, uh, <laughs> how, well, how you do buddy. Okay. Well, in full, I mean, in full, uh, you know, honesty, like I'm, a, I'm an introvert as it is. So it's not like I'm, I'm majorly disrupted in terms of like my social activity, <laughs> but, right. um, I'm also for someone who hates people. I also, uh, don't want harm to befall people. I know that's a wild contradiction, but that's just kind of how I roll. I'm introverted, but I care. So uh, this has been, you know, kind of wild, man. I'm definitely, uh, you know, I'm I'm a little on edge, but I'm doing my best to be cool about it, and uh, I'm doing my part to hopefully be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So um, I'm not leaving the house unless I absolutely have to. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm keeping things as, as tight as I can. And, um, I've been working from home since Tuesday and, uh, that's been a, a thing, um, with, with the little dude, um, and mom's coming sometimes and not others. So, um, the wife and I are both working from home so we can both kind of keep an eye on dude when we can, but we're both working. So it's really difficult and, uh, it's, it's going to be an adjustment for sure to to all this so we will see yeah but um, I, I but i'm hanging in there 
Yeah, I, I think in the, in the plus column for all this, um, everybody is in the same situation. So I think there's a lot more understanding when it comes to like kids in the workplace. I, I you know, I really hope so. And I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, dude. When I see, without getting too heavy into political leanings or whatnot, let's just leave that aside for a minute. But when I see people still trying to dismiss this or spin this to some kind of political advantage or uh, uh, be flippant about precautions and things like that. Like, dude, this is just not the time. You, you <laughs> it, This is very serious, and we want to eradicate it as quickly as we possibly can. And if you're going to fly in the face of that and still go out to bars, which you can't now because everything's closed, but before that, like over the weekend and whatnot, when things were definitely escalating, you know, like just don't be part of the problem. Please be part of the solution. Be smart be responsible and this will all hopefully you know end sooner that's my plea to everyone. it's okay it's it's okay drew florida's got us covered they're keeping the party going uh, <laughs> oh florida have they learned nothing from jaws close the beaches dude <laughs> oh man but i mean you you gotta it's yeah it's a serious thing we're all dealing with it, but you also got to be able to laugh about it at some point because if you don't, you're just going to go crazy. I'm going to try. Um, I'm going to try. Um, yeah. So, so we we were supposed to 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 be seeing AEW this week. Oh. And oh, oh, what a show we would have seen. Carl, all day I thought about that, dude. And then, like, all day I was thinking about it leading up to the show, like, Oh man, we'd be in Rochester right now. We'd be, you know, going to the, the the game shop you wanted to go to. We'd be we'd be going to the Fifth Frame Brewing that I wanted to go to. We'd go to Dino Bar for dinner, like all of us, and then we'd go to the show, and it'd be so cool. And I was thinking about that all day, and that was it. That was like depressing enough because I I you know what a day we would have had, and then the yeah. show happened, and dude, for an empty arena show. They hit it out of the park, and not only did they hit it out of the park, the things that happened on the show very likely would have happened at the Roch had it happened in Rochester to an audience, and we would have been there, and we would have seen one of the most eventful AEW shows to date, and it hurts me so deeply. Oh man, yeah, it bites. It, it's tough. Brody Lee from Rochester debuted on Wednesday. He would have gotten an insane pop. Man, it would have been huge, deafening. It would have been deafening had that happened in Rochester. And then at the end, dude, if Vanguard One would have made an appearance in Blue Cross Arena, that building would have exploded. And I know this because I popped hard off my couch. And made a whooping sound in my living room to nobody when 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 Vanguard One appeared on my screen. So I know for a fact that that building would have came unglued at Matt Hardy's debut. Indeed, but it was it was really cool. So now I was I'm somewhat because of our discussions in the past. I'm somewhat familiar with Matt Hardy and like the broken Matt Hardy thing. Uh, Clearly, they're doing that again. The the 
Brody guy I'm not familiar with at all. Um, he's great. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, he's been on the. In, I mean, okay, he's been in WWE for about five to between five and God, more than that now. Five. Let's call it five to seven years. Um, initially, he was like the um, top lieutenant of the Wyatt family stable, which for a time was like a really cool hot stable. Um, but Vince never gave him a real chance. Uh, he kind of put him in this box and basically wouldn't let him out of it. And that was it. Once he was kind of in the, once he was in Vince's doghouse, once you're in Vince's doghouse, you're basically forever in Vince's doghouse and there's no getting out. So, uh, he's been kind of floundering. He, he was floundering for a while. Eventually they, they just stopped using him entirely and he let his contract expire and when well, he wanted out because he knew he had more to give. And now he's in AEW in a prominent role, a very prominent role. Alrighty. I think it's going to be fun. And just in case you're wondering, um, his ring name Brody Lee is influenced by exactly who you might think it is if you're a Kevin Smith fan. All right. <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so he's he's cool. He's a he's a big dude, uh, big man style, but very very good wrestler. And he can cut a promo, even though he never got a real chance to do so in WWE because they insisted that he speak in a Southern accent, and he is from Rochester, New York. So you can see why that was difficult for him. Strong strong Buffalo ties emerging in the AEW. Western New York is getting rep- some representation, man. How about that? Yeah, and not, let's not forget that the. Uh, um, the Dark Order or the, the Super Smash Brothers, as they were once known, are from Toronto, from Canada. So, uh, yeah, the North, the, our whole little region here is starting to get some 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 press. Nice, it's exciting. It's very exciting. Nice. So, anything else from your week? Uh not so much from the week. I, I mean, in anticipation for today. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Doom and Doom 2 on the Switch. Um, and that is, the when I say Doom, I don't mean 2016. I mean classic Doom. And uh, a classic never uh, grows old, Carl. Those games are still impeccably perfect. <laughs> um, masterfully designed and still super fun. And uh, Doom 2, I'm, I'm like, I haven't played Doom 2 in a long time. And I'm, I've been playing it recently. I'm kind of like in the... I'm like at the halfway point in terms of levels. There's like 32 levels. I'm around level 16 or 17 now. Wow. Doom 2 is uh, quite a different animal than Doom 1, despite being superficially the same. Um, it's been a very eye-opening experience playing them again uh, as a adult, I guess. Like, Doom 2 is like... They just started to get cute with it, I guess, where they, you know, they were like... They, they kind of assumed that you knew the formula or you knew the, the, the game... And they just start spamming enemies at you in ridiculous situations and escalating uh, amounts, which is, like, ridiculous. And and some of the new enemies they introduced are just, like, unfair. <laughs> so Doom 2 has been kind of an experience. But um, that's all been leading up to today. And I'm not even joking. Right before we got on to start the show, uh, I did fire up Doom Eternal, and I got to play it for about five minutes. <laughs> Only five minutes, but I'm so ready 
you can quarantine me right now, sir. I have Doom Eternal and <laughs> and, and and Animal Crossing in my possession, and I am ready to go. Um, bring it on. So you were you were you order offline, and that's all well and good. Um, uh, GameStop, oh. <laughs> who who a who a is making the argument that they are an essential service and should be allowed to remain open. Um, if we're, we're just allowing people to line up out the door for these two games today. Like uh, now, look to some people games are essential but let's be real not really <laughs> especially when you can just download them now and i feel i feel like a majority of gamers have that option so whatever but um let's be honest man have you have you you've been in a gamestop correct yep um no virus can survive in that in that <laughs> bo environment right like i mean they could be open Fair. Am I am I wrong? <laughs> You're not. You're not wrong. You are not. Anyway. anyway. Alrighty. How, um, how, how's it been going on your end? Um, you know, we've been uh kind of self quarantining since I think Saturday. You know, when you know, we saw where kind of the direction things were going, um, and just decided, yeah, we're gonna. Gonna shut down, whatnot. Um, I have an underlying condition. I am diabetic, so obviously there is a concern there. Um, my my father in law is extremely immunocompromised. Um, he has a condition that causes that, and uh, my my mother's husband is also. Uh, a bit of it has a condition as well. It's underlying condition. So, uh, you know, concerns all around. So we decide, all right, let's, let's lock it down. I think I've, I've left the house twice since then. Um, I had to, I was actually, I had off work from Monday up until today. And so a good friend of mine was able to bring my work gear to me. So I didn't have to go in and get it. I got all hooked up, and then it turns out I had to end up going back into work anyway to get um, a longer Ethernet cord, um, which is I'm staring at right now in my basement, just very shoddily routed through. There's a big pile of it laying by my feet, but it's getting the job done. Hopefully it won't be for too long. Working from home for the first time ever, I've always preferred to work in an office, Um I, I enjoy being around people and the coworkers and whatnot. So this uh, today was interesting, even though it took me up until like two o'clock to actually get up and running. Um, so yeah, we're uh, we're doing we're quarantining, hunkering down, and just kind of you know riding this wave, doing what we can, doing the bowl dance, feeling flow. <laughs> <laughs> it goes up and down and around. <laughs> it goes up and down and around in so many different ways. Oh. So, um, all right. Well, so do we want to do we want to get the show under underway yeah, here? We're, we're going to get underway here. So, we initially we had um, said that you know these episodes 
are going to come your way. You know, the plan was once every other week, and that is still, for the most part, that is still the plan. Uh, we also recognize that obviously we're going to have a lot more time on our hands, uh, given that we cannot leave the house or anything. So it is potential that you may get an episode one week after another. I'm not going to promise that, but potentially uh, can happen. We will do what we can. So, but we've told you about our weeks. We've shared some stories. Dear listeners, if you want to share some stories with us, tell us how you're doing during this time. Uh, send us some questions. Send us anything to be right on the show. Just to let us know how you're doing, you can find us at the following locations. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's Do Pod. You can like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Devil's Do Pod. You can email us at the Devil's Do Pod at gmail.com, or you can find all these resources available to you on our website, the Devil's Do Podcast.com. Drew, that being said, we do have some emails. All right. In order of which they were received. First up, Mr. Alan Waiters. Gentlemen, it has been eons. I mean, we, we see Alan all the time. Yeah, it was on last Friday. <laughs> <laughs> he was there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. in the show capacity, yeah, he he's not wrong. It has been a while. Yeah. Um, I want to start off by saying I'm down 15 pounds since the beginning of Lent. Alan, Alan, me too. And I've been walking trails every day. True, congrats to you and your pounds as well. That's it. He knows. He knows. Uh, Carl and Drew, what is the thing you miss most about our board game nights? Mm. Did you like Stone Age? What are your thoughts on worker placement games in general? So starting off first, what is the thing you miss most about our board game nights? Um, I think actual physical uh, in-person yeah. people interaction yeah. is right now. Definitely. Um, I mean, it's kind of, kind of a point we got into board games in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, it, like you can play online. We can, we can do this via Skype, but like you said, you just, it, it, it loses something. Um, it's good. It's just good to be around friends and, uh, you know, sit around a table and joke and, and, you know, Share share food, share drinks, and just you know, be be in each other's company. And then it's it's just different when you're not together physically. So that is missed. All right, indeed. Uh, did you like Stone Age, the game we played last Friday night? I I did, but I definitely feel that um, if you, it's it's breakable. I'm not saying it's broken, but I feel like it's definitely breakable because Alan broke it, <laughs> um, yeah. in my opinion. Like, he definitely lapped the board over us several times over, so there's clearly a mechanic in the game that allowed him to do so and that I was a little unclear. Well, I mean, in fairness, it was also my first time playing, and he's played numerous times before. So true, but I, I I think in playing the game where where you have your paths to points and whatnot, I feel like the, there's really only one path to win. There's path there's paths to points, but there's really only one path to win. <laughs> and I wish I would have known that sooner. <laughs> yeah. So I liked the game. Um, 
but I wasn't super crazy about it because, and granted, it, this is an older game, yeah, a uh, much older game, and there have been games that have come out since this game that does that do what this game does, but a lot better. And the primary one for that is a game called Champions of Midgard, uh, which I think you would really dig. Uh, it's it does a lot of what Stone Age does, but it adds some stuff in there, and it does what Stone Age does a lot better. It's just and it's got a better visual presentation, and it's just it's a much much better game than Stone Age. Um, as far as thought on worker placement games, I really enjoy them. It's one of my more uh, favored genres of board games. What about you, sir? Um, eh, it depends. I don't, I, I don't know if I have a real favorite kind of game that I like to play. Um, you just like good games. I just like good games. Yeah, and that's you know that's that's just uh that's just me in general with even video games like you know i don't necessarily love any one genre i just like a good version of any of any genre really as long as the game is good i'm i'm a happy camper right cool cool all right carl what are you doing to pass the time during this quarantine um i have a four-year-old so <laughs> i'm i am watching him and it's it's kind of cool because like he can He's kind of figuring out the controller now, so he's playing like Mario Kart cool. and Splatoon, and he, he is very, very bad at both, <laughs> but seeing him kind of like navigate it and figure it out is just kind of really adorable. Um, but yeah, just, um, and again, something I didn't mention from this past week, this past week was William's birthday. Uh, we were originally going to go to the Strong Museum play in Rochester, Um did not <laughs> for no. obvious reasons um so we unfortunately we had to cancel his his birthday party which was coming up too so i'm you know it, it you feel bad because you're a parent you're really looking forward to doing this stuff for him but at the same time he's, he's four he's not gonna remember it um I, yeah I, just I, like I have memories just, from when i was four yeah not super detailed stuff yeah, uh, i guess not but, uh, but yeah, just uh, getting really quality time with the family, um, and you know, trying to trying to keep our minds off of you know the negativity and fo- focus on you know positive opportunities that the situation uh, provides. And yeah, you know, playing some games, playing a lot of Call of Duty, playing Mario Kart, and uh, fun times. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. True. What is the thing you like most about Doom, and what is your favorite thing about Animal Crossing? <laughs> it's too soon, man. I just started playing uh, Eternal <laughs> tonight and Animal Crossing tonight. Uh, but in general, okay, I'll start with Doom. The thing I love most about Doom is it's it's just a frantically great game. It's well, I mean, historically speaking, um, thinking back to the original and even 2016, they're just really well designed, well made games that are. Uh, heavy on the fun factor and they reward you for you know they reward being aggressive and they reward you for i I, they're just they're just fun i can't i can't say much more than that like the controls are great 
Um, the game design is great. The level design is great. And, and it's just executed to a perfection. Um, and then obviously if we're getting into the minutia for me, it's, there's that heavy metal tie that's always going to be there. Like the original games, the soundtrack was MIDI versions of ripoff songs of Metallica and Alice in Chains and Pantera and whatnot. And, you know, cool. I knew that. Like even as when I was a kid playing, I'm like, Hey, that's this song by whatever. And I thought that was cool. Um, and then in 2016, they made the soundtrack modern but still metal as hell it wasn't ripping off any particular thing anymore but it was original and and awesome i mean i own it on vinyl i love it so it just speaks to me in a lot of a lot of ways like it's it's a it's like heavy metal the game (laughs) and it's super fun yeah doom is one of the most metal things ever created absolutely and i and i'm already like i'm only minutes into eternal and it's like oh man they're steering hard into like we're gonna make a heavy metal album cover into a game like okay so it's yeah that that talks to me directly um animal crossing however is not that uh why do i love animal crossing i think it's just again again because it's fun and it's just a whole different vibe you play it at your own pace um you can you can just chill out and relax or not if you want to kind of be frantic and crazy you can go nuts hunting for bugs and uh bell or you know hunting for bells and 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 doing chores and errands for people at a torrid pace or just back off and whatever i'll bring the package to the other dude when i get around to it get off my case pal um and you're kind of at least in the you know each iteration you have a little more control each game over the island itself or the the city the town itself um so you can kind of craft a little world for yourself and you know, it's fun to decorate your house and make it look how you want and do that kind of thing. And it's just a totally different, it's a very chill vibe. Um, and the fact that it takes place in real time is fun when, when real things happen, like, you know, holidays coming up, the game is going to do something that's like, Oh yeah, that that's pretty cool. And I guess the game itself is, is in on the spirit of whatever's going on. Um, I like I like that. It's just a very charming uh, experience. It's 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 they're the yin and the yang, <laughs> but but together they are uh, they're they're both great. I mean, you know, you could do all that stuff in real life, right? I, I well, yeah, but i'm just just saying carl it's a lot easier in the game to make money i'm just gonna put that out there (laughs) doom i get doom animal crossing and stuff like i've just never really like so it's life but on a switch tom nook pays out tom nook pays out a lot more for bugs than like you know anyone in real life would so (laughs) there is that okay that uh okay and you can you can um, decorate okay, your so, house. You can decorate your house with a push of a button, as opposed to like you know, actually moving <laughs> furniture around and painting and stuff. Fair enough. Uh, so we close out with "Stay Safe, Guys." Also, a shout out to JHL Smino. Always. So thank you very much for that, Alan. So our next email is from friend of the show, Mister Tom Fenzel. Welcome back, guys. Happy to hear your voices again. And on to my favorite topic, Star Wars. Ah. My, question has to, my question has to do with the Nintendo Switch. 
Right now, there are sales going on for some Final Fantasy games, Octopath Traveler, and The Trials of Mana. Mm. What should I spend my hard-earned quarantine money on? Thank you, Tom Kent. Wow. Um, I, okay, so in terms of the Final Fantasy games, I don't know what's available. on. Well, hang on. On Switch, I pre- actually, no. On Switch, I think uh, 7, 8, and 9 are available on Switch right now. Um, uh. 10 and, and 10 oh, they, oh really wow okay yep. um for me speaking only for me um seven and nine i think are definitely worth your your dollar um go for it set and it's uh i should also note i did download the seven remake demo on ps4 by the way and uh without getting too deeply into it i don't know how yeah. i i don't really know how i feel about it um I know what they're going for. I don't know that I like it. I don't know that I. I don't know that I like the 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 the, the actual game of it. The way they change the combat and whatnot. It's a little weird. So anyway, without getting too deep into that, you can get Final Fantasy VII OG or the PC version anyway uh, for the Switch right now, and that's gonna that's 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 still a classic to me, and I still love it. So. Um, in terms of the uh, Octopath Traveler and the Trials of Mana, Octopath Traveler is a... I want to love it more than I do. I want to be very clear. It's it, it's great, but it doesn't quite um, do what I wish it did in all the right ways. So It doesn't bring it all together. In the end. No. Um, like, and you really, at some point, like you're playing it, when you first start playing, you're like, oh, this is so great. The, the setup of the game is great. The visuals are, are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, play control is great, but as you're going on, going through these stories, at some point, you're wanting them to start to come together. Right, right. And they don't. They really don't. It's like eight, it, you know, it's eight individual stories, and there's very little overlap or interaction between the characters at all. Um, and that's kind of a bummer. Uh, may, maybe that's a matter of expectation to a degree, but... Um, the like the, like you said like the the presentation is so great the the, the gameplay is fantastic the combat system is great all that visuals fantastic but the actual um story and delivery and and stuff just doesn't really it doesn't get to anything in any real way and that's a bummer um trials of mana well that really is up to you um secret of mana the og is a classic and it's in that Trials of Mana. So, you know, if it's on sale right now, just for that alone, buy it. And I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, because I, I actually didn't get Trials of Mana. Um, I think Is Seek and Densetsu 3 included in that? I'm not sure. Let me pull it up right now. Um, Come on, where where's my... Just tell me what's in the... Just tell what's in the box. Oh no, it's a whole new game. Oh crap. <laughs> um I have no idea. <laughs> I have no clue about Trials of Mana whatsoever. Take back everything I said about Secret of Mana. If you can get Secret of Mana, go for it. Trials, I have uh, I don't know. Trials comes out in 424. So maybe uh I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean I would yet. say like it all depends on what you played previously. If you have never played any of those previously, Tom, then Final Fantasy VII is the way to go. 
I mean, that's that's something that should be experienced by every gamer. Um, if you have played the Final Fantasy games previously, I would go for one of the new stuff, either Octopath or Trials. Oh, the collection of mana is available for the Switch. I'm, maybe that's what uh, is on sale right now. Yeah, it is. Oh, it is on sale. Wow. Yeah, buy that. The collection of mana, um, definitely buy that because, oh, I see what they did there. Yeah, def- I'm, I'm going to go buy a collection of mana because it has Secret of Mana on it and it has Trials of Mana which is Seekin Densetsu 3, which was rele- which is the sequel to Secret of Mana that was never released in America, but now is with an English translation. Yep. Uh, Tom, buy that. Okay. That, sure, that works. <laughs> um, normally, I would say, normally there's a part where I'd say, Drew, you just bought two new games. When are you going to have time to play uh, this Mana game? It's going to be a but, while. You know, <laughs> It's gonna be, but you know what? It's on sale. I'll just, I'll just. It's gonna be a while. I'll buy it now, and then once I'm done dooming an Animal Crossing, then I can mana ing. <laughs> Makes sense. Tom, thank you as always for your questions. We appreciate it. Now on to our final email from Mister Jake Elsamino. Oh. Drew and Carl, what is your favorite slash most entertaining virus story in comics or movies? Ooh. Uh, I think you kind of got to go outbreak. I was going to say Philadelphia, Carl. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Bad joke. I'm sorry. It was there. Um, well, I mean, it's, it is a virus story. There's... It, it, it is. Didn't mean to be dark there, but, you know. Um, They're real dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I don't, that's a good question. I, you know, uh, the X-Men have had several virus stories, have they not? Probably. And I, you know, for as, as like the legacy virus and, uh, things like that. And, you know, they're memorable, but I, I don't know that they're that great. Um, so we have to get into the movies, I guess. And, uh, um, 28 days later is pretty great. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't really have one. If we're, you know, you want to bring games into it, I can. I can get into games and, and tell you, you know, like the Resident Evil series is, you know, up to a point. Yeah, anyway. with the exception of the Resident Evil series, zombies have just never been really in my bag. So yeah, as far it. as movies go, you know, I got to go Outbreak. I mean, come on, you're giving me Cuba Gooding Jr. and a monkey. <laughs> how, sure. how are we going to go wrong with that? Did he sexually harass that monkey? I hope not. He did not. Okay, well, okay. Do we know that, though? You're thinking of Kevin Spacey. Uh, n- no, I'm thinking of Cuba Gooding. And Cuba Gooding as no one? Not... Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> Drew. Hard times, man. We, Hard times. Yeah. When will we be able to New Japan again in an arena? Oh. It's going to be a while. Well... I, I'm choosing to be, uh, you know, uh, no, I'm not going to be cynical about this. I'm going to, I'm going to be positive and I'm going to will this to happen. We will be together again in August at Madison Square Garden 
for New Japan. It will happen. All right. I I, I know that's unlikely up right now. That's how it feels, but I, it's gonna happen. I say I say right now on March twentieth. <laughs> You're giving yourself some good leeway. Yeah, I know, I know, but I I want it to happen. So I want it to. St- hey man, August. Listen, August, Madison Square Garden, New Japan, Legacy or uh, Dynasty. It's gonna be great. Listen, China's on the rebound from this thing. They haven't had any new cases. So this thing definitely has a cycle that's going to go through. Uh, so we just got to, like we said, we got to ride this wave. I, I I, hope, I really hope we can we can be on a faster trajectory and that life can get back to normal. But it's looking tough right now. But I'm going to, again, I'm choosing to try and be positive and say August, New Japan, Madison Square Garden. We're going to be there. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. All right. So then he says, Carl, how are you enjoying your work from home thus far? Um, seeing as I've had a quarter of a day of actual work and home stuff, um, it, it's all right. Miss the office. Miss seeing, you know, the people's shining faces, smiling faces, frantically stressed out faces. Yeah. Miss having a cup of coffee with coworkers and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I've never been one for work at home. Julia's always been much more of a work at home person than me. I, I prefer to go out and be amongst the people. I'm a people person, Drew. Uh, you are. I, I I enjoy the people. Good good, good for you. All right. What <laughs> 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 of them <laughs> my, my My stance on people has already been disclosed. Well, well established and flushed out. All right, Jay, thank you so much for your email. Everyone, thanks for contributing. So let's get to the heart of this matter. Yes. Uh, we are beginning our deep dive into the Star Wars films, uh, doing them in order of release. So this will be our episode that focuses on uh, Star Wars, the original, uh, later to be known as Episode 4, A New Hope. And kind of we, we really the best way and again we've said that you know we don't want this to be a, a review series we don't want this to be like a, a verbal history series because those things have been been really done to death there's going to be aspects of that in our conversations and what we decide to do but it's not going to be the the sole focus so what i want to start with is i want to start at the beginning and more um, our beginnings with the story than the beginnings of the story itself. So, Drew, let me ask you this: what What are your earliest memories of Star Wars? Um, so, I've thought about this a lot, and I do have. I've got two very vivid memories of Star Wars. You know, at, at large, and the first one. And I don't know that it's the earliest one. It's I don't know. I, it, they're, they're memories, so it's they're deep. Um, but I was definitely very young, five, six. It's hard to really, I, I maybe younger. I don't remember. But I was at my, I don't remember where I was. I think I was at my uncle's 
my aunt and uncle's house with my cousin who I spent time with. Uh, and, you know, she's still like, you know, we're, we're, we're very close. Um, we were young and Star Wars, no, The Empire Strikes Back actually was on. And it was the, the Vader-Luke duel scene. And I had no idea what I was seeing. And uh, the part where Vader pulls like the like debris or the uh, whatever, he pulls that piece off the wall and, and Luke like turns around and cuts it in half with the lightsaber. And I was like, you know, as a yeah. kid, you're just like, what, you know, what is this? And my uncle was like, he, he was a little more hip to Star Wars than I was. Although it's, it's funny because like if I, asked, if I were to talk to him now about it, I think he wouldn't even have a clue. He's more of a Lord of the Rings guy. But uh, at the time, he was like, he told, like he said, the lightsaber can cut through anything or something to that effect. Like it's, it's so, it, he basically said like it's so powerful it can cut through anything. And I was like, whoa. And then the Luke, I am your father scene happens. And, you know, okay, this, whatever this is, it's, this is pretty wild. And I remember that. I don't remember how old I was. I don't remember anything, you know, the context of it, or if I had seen any more of the movie at that point, I don't remember. I just remember that particular sequence of events. Then the other early, early Star Wars memory I have, and this one, dude, I don't even know. I don't even know where I was. I, I want to say I was at some kind of gathering, like a like a at a at a place. So not not like a family party, but like a, a an event of some kind, some kind of some kind of gathering at some place. But there was a TV somewhere in this place, and they and it was the scene in A New Hope when they're in the cantina, and Obi Wan cuts off dude's arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and i was like whoa <laughs> what is this and that's I, I i i was very young i know that for a fact and those were my earliest star wars memories and then from that point um i just know that i was making um uh, my mom rent the trilogy from whatever video store happened to be open and had them in stock um, or going to the library and taking them out from the library uh, or uh, going to my friend's house who owned um, all three of the original, original VHS releases of the, of the original trilogy. And I just, you know, like many people who might be listening to this, I watched those movies nonstop until I knew every intricacy of them inside and out. And that was a key influence on me to this day. All right. So for me, uh, my earliest memories are uh, playing with the toys on the living room floor with my father. Uh, just kind of playing with, you know, Chewbacca and Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and just different, you know, doing different things and whatnot. I didn't, I didn't remember the movies specifically at that point. I think this probably was around Empire. Um, I have 
memories of seeing Empire in the theaters. Wow. Now, now I've been told, I've been told that I was taken to a viewing of Star Wars when it was re- originally released. Wow. Because it was, it came out in May of 77. I was born in December of 77. And films, as you know, ran a lot longer back then. They did. They did. So my parents have told me that, you know, one night we were just going stir crazy. We need to get out of the house. Couldn't find a sitter. It was a later showing. They just took me with them. And apparently I did not, you know, fuss much during the film. So if what if what we have studied about brains is true, that memory is somewhere in there. I just can't access it. So, so I've been told that I was at an original showing of Star Wars when it first came out. But my my earliest memories are of the toys. Uh, my first theater memory is of seeing Empire Strikes Back at a drive-in. Um, but it it is something that, like I, I mentioned, we talked about this on our last episode. It's really something that, when you think about it is one of our oldest relationships aside from our parents is star wars i know for me that's true they're my parents and they're star wars the two things when i when i reach back in my earliest memories those are the two things that are there and that are prominent so and i guess looking at the original where it all started for us like in in a nutshell, as we're obviously going to explore this concept throughout this series, why do you think this story has endured for as long as it has? It sounds third generation of fans right now. Um, it has a pop cultural footprint that is in the argument for most impactful uh, pop culture property of all time. What, what do you feel is the essence of what has kept it going for all these years? Mm. Well, without getting too hung up on critiquing what came later, I, it it really comes back to the originals. I'm I'm sorry, but it does, and in their timelessness, in a way. Um, the, when they came out, they looked and sounded like nothing else, and they set a standard for what film, sci-fi, and fantasy, sci-fantasy, whatever, however you want to kind of classify it. It it set this bar that resonates to this day and it was so well realized that it really felt like um something that could exist in a, in a way like that was it out there and weird yeah but it just felt real um in in a in a way that nothing did and to this day that that tone is is still there 
and you watch them and it just it's that lived in feel and it's really a true authentic thing it's so well realized in its own universe and the stories of the originals are very simple believe it or not um and open-ended enough where your imagination can take it into any number of directions uh, and really invest you more because, not because necessarily you want to know the answers to the, not, not necessarily the questions, but you, you know, you hear terms kind of thrown out there in those original movies in A New Hope. You hear this thing called The Clone Wars just casually dropped and, you know, it doesn't really matter what what that is. It's a cool term. <laughs> and your brain goes, oh, what is that? And there's a history. And there's like this, again, that lived-in mythology that's all there. And it really just captures the imagination and keeps you interested while the characters themselves you find endearing and you want to see them succeed um, despite them being, you know, fairly two-dimensional and archetypical, it doesn't really matter. You still want them to succeed, and you care about them and their journey. Um, and that endures; it really does. Uh, so it's 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 simple yet complex, but the complexities aren't necessarily important. Um, what's important is the way the movie engages your imagination. And gives you characters to root for in this in this world, and I think that's why it endures. Um, obviously, things have evolved so much in the, in that time, and a lot of those things that were left to the imagination have been kind of filled in. And I that I don't know if that's good or bad, um, but Star Wars endures regardless. So who am I to say? I guess, but uh, for me. And this goes for any property, to be honest with you. The more you fill in those blanks and the more you uh, take away what was once mysterious, the less interesting the thing kind of becomes. So you could also, you know, insert comic book character here like Wolverine or whatever. Um, so I, I think the, the it hits that sweet spot. It's mysterious yet straightforward and it leaves a lot to your imagination Yet it's totally well realized, and it feels like it's all coherent and and uh, laid out. Right. No, I, I agree with with that, and I think just I've, I've always said that there is there is a magic to Star Wars, mm-hmm. and that magic is is at its most potent when wielded by children. Because you know, at, at the end of the day, it's that's kind of what what it is. It's a, it's a film for kids. Like you know, Lucas has said that numerous times, but that is what it kind of is at the end of the day. And it's found, you know, its first generations of fans were primarily the kids who have who gave it this life, and made it this phenomenon back in '77. And I think that as those kids grew and had uh, families of their own that it it really started to become a generational story like so many fantasies and fairy tales have done in the past that have been passed down from generation to generation and each generation kind of puts their own 
spin interpretation on it with star wars you know there because it's film and it's you know set in stone for the most part we're going to get to um how that changed a little bit later uh you know that what those little things like you were mentioning like you know obi-wan dropping uh the the cool line about the clone wars you know that is leaving something there for interpretation as to what that can possibly mean um i think you touched on a couple of things that people tend to forget about star wars in that it is as as groundbreaking as it was for its time it is by no means an original story uh it is very much cobbled together uh different aspects of film lore film nostalgia and definitely reflects what influenced lucas and others at the time of its creation so, so like you you look at the the opening sequence arguably one of the greatest opening sequences in film history you just hit the ground running and this thing is happening and you're immediately thrust into it. No setup at all. There's this battle happening. Go. But you look at the structure of that, you know, the one ship chasing the other. And that's like, that's old Errol Flynn, black and white pirate films, two ships volleying back and forth at each other. You know, you go to Moss Eisley Cantina, you look at Moss Eisley Cantina and that's just Rick's cafe American from Casablanca. You know, and you can draw these these comparisons throughout the entire film, really throughout the entire trilogy. Um, and but that's okay because again, generational interpretation. This was Lucas's interpretation of these classic stories that have been passed down um, from generation to generation. And I think it's because of that generational storytelling, which is one of the key things that makes it um, endure for as long as it has. And I mentioned the, the magic of Star Wars, and I think that magic is most potent in the original film. Like, yes, you have moments throughout Empire and Jedi where that magic really, you know, takes off and, and kind of spreads its wings, but, like, the moments in the original film that really capture you, those essential Star Wars moments are the ones that kind of stick with you regardless of what generation of fan you are. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I have, I mean, just speaking for me, I think a lot of, a lot of the big moments for me are an empire, but I mean, without, a new hope there is no empire so it's right you know, well we'll have that conversation when we get to empire and the way that it really uh 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 carries the torch forward and and pays off in in dividends uh everything in in a new hope but uh a new hope establishes this this whole universe you know and uh uh it, it is magical and definitely if you're a child like you said man like it, it there's just so much there and it's so well realized that if in the in through the eyes of a child it it sucks you right in i mean you, you're it's it's like it's made for you it is made for your for your child brain to just consume and and run wild with right 
And I, I'm one of the things I'd be really curious to know is like what what was kind of like the percentage of fans that really jumped on board hard um, after the original release in seven seven? Like what were the age demographics beyond that of kids? I don't. I, well, really- it, it did so much box office, dude. I have to imagine that it really did cater to all audiences. Well, I mean, it was such an event. Sure. And the way the way films were distributed was so differently back then that, like, you know, it's kind of you can the modern equivalent you can draw is Marvel films. You know, you have all these people going to Marvel films who have never picked up a comic book in their life, but they recognize these characters and the story as something that is entertaining and enjoyable to them and a story, a narrative that they want to follow to its conclusion. Um, and so I just, I, I, it's something I've always been really curious about. Like what was the, beyond the, the kid age, what was the, the portion of people who really jumped on board with star Wars when it was initially released? Um, another interesting thing, like I, I think there's the two key things that, that, uh, people kind of forget about the original film uh a you know the first one that i mentioned that it's not you know original storytelling uh second is that after you have that incredible beginning the the pace just kind of comes to almost a screeching halt yeah you know it's funny you say that because at the time of release until they get to the death star yeah at the time of release uh Star Wars was heralded as being a very fast movie. Very fast. Oh, yeah, it's very, very fast. A lot of, lot, you know. Dude, I mean, that just goes to show how movies have changed. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah right. the, the pace gets slowed considerably after the opening uh, battle. I mean, and, and you're left with, I mean, think about it. There's that whole stretch where the, your only characters of note are, are two robots, one of which is a, a garbage can on wheels. And Jawas, who are just little robe dudes with light bulb eyes who speak in a totally different language. And that's like 20 minutes of the film. <laughs> it's like, what is yeah. this? And it's, it's fine because, like, you know, growing up, my favorite scene from the original film was always, you know, you're all clear, kid. Han Solo shows up. That, that climax. As I'm older, I find that my favorite scene has become the binary sunset scene. Oh, of course. I mean, well, we're adults now, so be, I mean, be, because yeah, because like the the you're all clear kid scene. That's kind of like that's your first drink. You don't know what you're drinking. You you think Coors Light is a delicacy. You know, you're not educated yet. But as you as you kind of get older, that that binary sunset scene, just the the music, the cinematography of it. Uh, the what you know is going to come for this character. I also it just is like it's that really really fine wine that you just kind of take your time with. Well, it has so many layers to it too. Because as a if you're a a young if you're if you're a young person and you're in any sort of situation where you want to get out from under your parents' thumb, which we all do when we're young, we we all dream of the you know what does the future hold and that twin sunset scene dude is all of that encapsulated so it, that will speak directly to the adolescent youth that that are longing for some kind of freedom some kind of future you don't know what it, you don't know what but you know uh yeah. you you know that you're 
you know, you're you're trying to stretch your wings and become your own person. And as an adult, that scene it has a different twinge to it. The original meaning, obviously, as I just uh, relayed, is still there. But it's also a bit, you know, there's some melancholy to it as an adult where it's like, yeah, remember when you felt that way and think about where your life is now and, you know, is it where you want to be? I mean, I, I certainly hope all of us are where we want to be. But, you know, with that, that lens of, uh, of retrospect, um, you know, it, it takes on a new, a new meaning for sure. Yeah, it's, it's just like something that like, I found as a kid was more or less a throwaway scene for me. But again, as, as we mentioned, as you get older, just, just it hits yeah. that much harder. And I think, I think this is the, a good part. Other, this is a good uh, part to, to mention. The music is, as is, abs- oh is critical I mean, in that scene. And that also okay. it's critical to the whole franchise. Um, I should have probably really, said something about that. Like, dude, sci-fi movies in that time, they probably had some hokey, you know, synth scores or, or whatever. I, you know, discotheque Cynthia yeah and doing doing uh, John Williams doing the traditional score and having such memorable classic themes it sells every, like it, that's what that's, that's the thing you you're being presented with this very weird outlandish stuff and it looks and feels like nothing you've ever seen before but this music grounds it in a in a in a motion that you you are definitely familiar with, and it it just completes the whole package. Right, and just um, like even to say, like you hear those certain themes and those chords. I mean, you can even just hear a couple notes, and A instantly know what it is, and then B just be brought back to that emotion to those moments where these scenes spoke to you it's it's the power it's the power of music dude i'm you know yeah i i'm 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 very music is at the forefront of my mind all the time and the star wars the original trilogy specifically the themes in in those movies um williams masterfully relayed exactly how you should feel about ev- like about every theme he wrote and where they're inserted in the movie, they are cued in specifically to tell you how to feel, and it works a uh, hundred times out of a hundred. You, you like it's it's just human nature. You hear whatever he put down, and you know, oh, that's that's longing. That's you know the twin sunset scene again. The music, it is yeah. long. It is longing for more luke is looking at those twin sons and with that sound you know exactly how he feels he wants he wants to be anywhere but where he is and he's looking at that horizon with melancholy and and you know it 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 sells it completely um the fanfare like all of it yeah um yeah music is a is a very powerful thing and uh yeah and like especially with the direction of emotion like it's it's tough like when you think about films today and we've discussed about this with the marvel films and this is like one thing where they're kind of seemingly a lot of times very generic is that the music is 
kind of blatantly telling you the score is blatantly telling you what you should be feeling in that moment where with the Marvel films, it feels very sim- systematic and, uh, I don't want to say mass produced, but I, I don't really have a better term, but with the star Wars films, it felt like an art form. I, the only real, um, uh, yeah, the Marvel stuff is very, uh, machine like in the way that it just kind of goes about its business and it there are some exceptions it's not well all like that it's not all like i but you know what I, i'll i'll go ahead and say like outside of it's all largely the same air quotes the one big success they've had though is that avengers theme um that thing just sells <laughs> Uh, yeah. But I also think that it it proved itself over time because I don't know that the big Avengers theme was that great in the first movie. But by the time uh, Endgame came out and when it hits in the you know in the and you know the moments when it hits, yeah. Oh, yeah. it hits you with everything. And I think that's partially familiarity. Um, but but outside of that, like I couldn't tell you what the theme to like Thor was or or whatever, right. or, or you know, even Captain America. I, I don't know. But that Avengers theme, th- that Avengers theme, I know, and I I'll get I'll yeah. I'll get emotional thinking about it when I just think about like you know Avengers assemble and the theme hits and the portals open. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, I'm 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 a mess. Yeah, and it's just with Star Wars, we have multiple. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I cannot hear Leia's theme and not get a little misty-eyed. Um, obviously, because we unfortunately don't have Carrie Fisher with us anymore, and just you know everything that that actress brought to that role and what that character has meant to me as part of this larger world throughout my entire life. You know, it's it's when you hear that theme, it just kind of triggers all those emotions. The, the, the music of star Wars is, is so linked to emotions more so than I think most other music in my life. But again, this is kind of coming from a lay person who does not create music, nor do I hear music in the same way that you do or someone who creates music, uh, hears it. No, but you recognize that that music gives you those emotions, and that's a testament to its greatness. Um, I think the best music is the stuff that me, a, music, a, more, a more musical inclined person, and you, a less so one, can both agree. Like that, that right there makes me feel this way. You don't. You might not know why, but you know that it does. I could tell you why, but I could also just is easily say I, I could tell you why but i also recognize like it, it it's it's not an accident that it makes you feel that way put it that way right right and that's that's um, that is very hard to do and i say that as someone who has been in, involved in music and studied music for all, most of my life uh, a lot of guys can can play very elaborately and and technically and very few of them can put
put that to use to make you truly feel something. And that is important. Yeah, it, it really is. I think uh, looking in looking again at that that slow portion of the film, you know, there's the binary sunset scene, which we've been discussing. The other scene that really is a really special moment, and that is the when Luke and Obi Wan are talking in Obi Wan's hut, and that moment where he gives Luke Anakin's lightsaber. And Luke ignites it for the first time. I think that moment is very symbolic of all of us. And it's not, I don't, obviously it is not intentionally symbolic, but I think it's very symbolic of the, the moment where we all discover Star Wars. Yeah, that's, that's fair. The the ignition of that lightsaber and like the, um, I, and we, we've we've discussed a couple times in passing the the new kind of animated shorts they do for Star Wars, mm-hmm. where it's kind of more more style. Like they use the the audio from the films uh, to kind of you know convey some stuff, but the animation is much more stylized. And you know they've done that scene, and when Luke just ignites that lightsaber it's just it's a massive flash and wind flowing over him and like yeah that's not what's on the film but that's kind of what we all feel and saw in our minds when that happened you know that that realization of the magic wand of that world yeah yeah that's that's a good that's a good analogy for it actually it it is like the yeah it's like a magic wand (laughs) yeah and just like you get you get a real glimpse into the depth that this story is capable of with what Obi-Wan is saying to Luke. And, and yeah, you can kind of, yeah, you can look back and be like, well, you know, Obi-Wan wasn't completely honest see, with Luke. See, and, yeah, I don't want to get uh, into all that because that gets into a lot of, well, there's a lot to be said about revisionist history and and whatnot but uh at at the moment of that film taking taking only a new hope into account um that is the eye-opening moment of revelation of of all this stuff and you take it all at face value and you get to understand there's a history here right that happened before this film started right and a history that we don't get to see yet we didn't know that at the time but whatnot um but it, it's really the first inkling that there there is a deeper world here to be explored yeah yeah like i said that mention of the clone wars like it it gets your brain kind of firing like whoa what was what was that uh obi-wan you know relaying like oh your father was the best star fighter, the best star pilot in the galaxy like oh wow okay um and and the Alec Guinness, give it up for a guy who hated the material. Uh, when he's you know, and he, <laughs> he really, really hated it. That's fi- hey, fair enough. But you know, when when that guy says like he was a good friend, like you you know you you feel it. You, you, you believe it. You believe yeah. it. Yeah. And again, we you know that that good friendship uh, that we heard about didn't necessarily get shown on screen later on. But we, we're not we're not going to talk about that right now. Um, but, but when Guinness de- delivers it, you believe it and it, 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 he, he delivers it with, uh, the, 
the weariness and the emotion of a man who who lived it and you you trust and believe what he's saying so you can imagine those two as friends you can imagine whatever antics they got up to and whatnot um right and and like i said as a kid it just sets your brain on fire and you you think about all that yeah and especially like you know it's it's very easy to forget like how deep the bench is on star wars uh, especially the the three original films, yeah, you've got Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher, and, and you know, obviously we know what became of that. But like Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing they, in the yeah. original, they, like I I always lamented that Tarkin died in the first uh, film. I always wanted to see uh, more of that character because he was just so fantastic it, well it's it's you know the the leads were all totally unknown so give getting peter cushing and alec guinness was like it gave the film some credibility <laughs> yeah but it also you know what, it was kind of like it was kind of like getting john travolta when he was making pulp fiction um i don't know about that uh, because i don't think i don't think either one of those guys were really working a lot at the time Star Wars is being made. I might be wrong. It's possible. Um, it happens from time to time. Well, Peter Cushing had been doing a lot of hammer. He did a lot of the Hammer uh, horror films in the seventies, right? So, I mean, he was a known quantity. He was he was a known character actor. Um, I'm not right. Talking- what I'm saying is like they're not. These guys are not like on demand box office bankable. Fair enough. Fair enough. You could you could say it's the the lightsaber metrics of Star Wars. No, no. Lucas, <laughs> Lucas Lucas was hi- was was hiring runs. He uh-huh. wasn't just hiring. Um. So yeah. So you know, we we look at Star Wars and and leading up to ninety seven. Uh, we have we have three films to work with, and I think one of the one of the contributing factors to what we got post 97 uh, is that we only had three films for so long and people watch them over and over again. And over time familiar since, and then, then you want to know what are those things that you don't know? You want to know what are those things that you've been hearing about and, you know, different sources role-playing game books and whatnot are being recognized as canon so the the fandom at large starts to want more and in 97 we kind of start to get more with the special editions now the special editions as you all know lucas goes back and uh first up cleans up the prints uh they were very deteriorated at that point i think we can all agree that that was a good thing to do cleans up the prints, cleans up the visual, cleans up the audio. Um, So really great there. And then uh, he decides to go back and redo a lot of the visual effects and add some stuff in. So So begins the revisionist history. (laughs) Right. And I can... I fall on both sides of the 
these special editions. I'm I'm an apologist, but at the same time, I'm also like these. My my problem is that they are our only option currently, our only legitimate option, I should say, currently for the films. I I'm totally okay, especially with because Lucas had very specific shots in mind that he wanted to get in time and budget just didn't allow for those shots. And I understand that. And, you know, that's part of the magic of what made it originally so great is that even though you didn't get necessarily what you wanted, you still got something that had the impact that it had. So he goes back and he redoes a lot of the visual effects. Uh, The two biggest points are uh, Moss Eisley, in the beginning and the the death star battle at the end with you know little things here and there thrown in part of me understands it yeah you have the ability to go back and kind of finally get those shots that you wanted and that's fine you know it you you are the artist that created this as part of a uh you know not not the sole artist but, you know, kind of the driving force behind it. And you decide you want to do this. You have the ability to do it. That's fine. You did it. It's out there. My problem is that, again, it's the only version we're able to have. We're not able to have the original theatrical cuts. So trying to be as objective as possible, Drew, what did you (laughs) like? What did you like about the special editions? Um, let's. Well, are we speak? We're speaking specifically to New Hope, correct? Yes. Okay. Let's. I, yeah. Let's. Let's handle each of these individually. Um, the quality of life improvements are are nice, um, and and I I think that's a theme that I'll just in general always be okay with that is cleaning up the print cleaning up the audio okay good 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 that those are good things um making the thing taking the original thing and making it as good as it can possibly be in its original form uh i'm all for um but but would you say like polishing up some of the effects that were noticeably not working the way they were intended to i.e the lightsabers and the death star battle i don't know that they really uh, the- did that with the lightsaber I, I mean when i think about the lightsaber cleanup i i don't there's two things that that stick out in my mind in a new hope one is the scene where luke first ignites it and there's a a, a, a giant jump cut when when the blade comes out uh, right. that's still in there to this day. They didn't get the jump out. So what's the point of doing anything if you can't fix that? Because I, I couldn't tell you outside of color grading, which I never really cared about in the original cut, um, they didn't fix that much with the lightsabers. And the other thing I think about is the scene, and I think this maybe has been fixed to varying degrees, but I know in the special edition as it was in 97, it wasn't. The scene when uh, Obi-Wan is holding his saber at such an angle and his duel with Vader where you can see the, 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 the effect isn't there. It's like the blade is 
the stunt blade is there and you can see it. It's like when in the moments where the blade is almost pointing directly Exa- at yes, the camp. Correct. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, well, if they fix that, cool. And I remember in, in 97, they didn't fix that. It was still there. And it's like, uh, okay, you had one job. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, you know, if you can't do that, then what's the point, really? Um, the lightsaber or the the Death Star thing. Um, the original trench run is pretty much. I mean, in the, in the special edition, outside of the approach when they all oh, they show all the ships coming out of hyperspace or or, or taking off from from Yavin, I should say. Uh, and and you know that that big that big pan around from the front to the back of their ships and whatnot. That was all done in CG. Uh, you know, whatever they they kept the rest of it the same. Um, right. Like so there's there's some it's just little, there's some additional dog fighting thrown in there. It's just bells um, and whistles. I don't know that it. Yeah. As a kid, now here's now again, eyes of a child, and whatnot. As a kid, you right. think that it's oh look look at it, look how amazing. But now I'm looking back at it, and I'm just like you know this this doesn't add anything. You you know it it just doesn't. You, you really the only thing that I'll maybe maybe concede is improved is with the scene of the x-wings departing the hangar going into space uh i know in the original cut you see like the the rebel troop up in the perch or whatever and you just kind of right. see stuff like you know you, dots you of light very primitive you know yeah like dots of light kind of shooting out and then in the Special edition, obviously, you see the X-wings taking off and and leaving the hangar bay. Okay, I'll I'll give you that. Um, but but the rest, I don't know. It, it's it's superficial window dressing that really didn't need to be there. Um, because the film did such a good job of already giving you what you needed. I, I don't need right. it spelled out any more than you've already done. I I get it. Like, obviously, especially when you look at the movement of the ships from Star Wars to Empire, how the change was so drastic Mm. and how much the technology advanced. Like, you know, Han boasting in Star Wars that he knows some maneuvers that will shake the Star Destroyer. And to, to quote the Family Guy uh, parody, he, he lists lazily to the left as his as was his maneuver. And like, you know, in Empire you've got like full on you know, space dog fighting, Falcon flying through the asteroid fields we've come to know it. So yeah. you definitely see the progression in technology. So I'm okay with some of the scenes where they kind of make the ships move a little better. Um, I think the one thing that's a big sticking point with all the fans is obviously all the stuff that was done in Moss Eyes. Um, it just mm. like doesn't it doesn't service the story. It doesn't like I'm watching this again just the other day and in Moss Eisley, like you've got all these like granted, I understand Lucas wanting to say, Okay, this is more what I saw this space for to be. And that's fine. If you want to throw that stuff in there, great. But just use some basic understanding of shooting a film is that you don't have things constantly walking in front of the camera as yeah. you're shot. Yeah, he like, like the, 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 the dude back that no obstructs the whole frame. Director, 
yeah, I am by no means a professional director, but like this is things that happen in, like blooper reels of other films. Yeah, and you're yeah. putting it in there as a feature. But like, I like how there was more attitude. You see it as an actual busy spaceport. Um, the thing is, I did you, you know, I I had no beef with the way it was presented originally. You know, like it was it was fine. I got the gist. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's a it's I, a CD CD, you know place to be and the original did that perfectly i I didn't need the excess stuff i didn't need the the goofy comedy robot punching the other robot like what what is is, why why is that there do we need that no why here's you want to hear something funny you'll you'll love this you'll love this because i know how much you dislike the special editions (laughs) so i'm watching this watching this the other day right and i just recently you know got a new uh, 4k television and i was watching off disney plus app at disney plus um, upscales the star wars films to 4k and the stuff that really looks good is all the original stuff and the stuff that really doesn't look great anymore is all the 97 stuff go figure like like that, that scene, that robot punching a little droid, it just in 4K just does not look right. Um, and can, and can, I want justice for Wolfman, by the way. <laughs> they took him out. I want him back. I I, I get that. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I do not disagree at all. So, but of of this, the two biggest sticking points are the Java scene. And Han uh, shooting the jo- Yeah, yeah. You know, dude. the job scene was cool to see the first time I saw it in the special edition because we had always known that this scene was out there. We had always known that Jabba was intended to be in you know, Star Wars, yeah. but Lucas just ran out of money. So they put it back in there, and more and more as I watched these years go by, I'm like, this scene just is not good. No. Because okay. it's basically a replay of everything we just learned in the scene with Han and Greedo. Exactly. Now, and, and okay, exactly. And let me elaborate on that. You're exactly right. It's redundant because everything in the Jabba scene was already relayed in the Greedo scene in terms of information, who owes what to who and what. Han's motivations, basically, are just reiterated verbatim, so completely superfluous. And added to that, our point of view character is who? Who who are we, the audience, supposed to be basically seeing this film through? Luke. Correct. When we first see... The Millennium Falcon in the original cut. When do we see it? The original cut. Uh, take when Luke first sees. Correct. And what do we? What does he say? What a piece of junk! Exactly. That's our. That is our reaction. We are supposed to go like, "Oh God, what? What? What is? What kind of folly did they get themselves into?" In the special edition, the first time you see the Millennium Falcon is in the Jabba scene, which is inserted before Luke sees the Millennium Falcon. You see you see it with Han and a terrible, I don't care how many versions they do, a terrible CGI Jabba. Um, yeah. And Han stepping on his tail or what, which, come on, you that, no. It, no. It just, it just doesn't work, and ultimately it's done to 
put Boba Fett in there. Yeah. Which yeah. is just a, a terrible moment of fourth wall breaking. Especially considering when, that, uh, man, there's a, there's a lot to be said here, but I, I think a, so much of the folly of Star Wars um, in 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 the later years, the 90s onward, it, it, it falls on the fact, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, I don't think George understood what people fell in love with and why about Star Wars. I think he superficially understood it and and, and steered into the mythos in, in weird ways that he thought people would like, but he missed the, the real underlying reason why people liked it. So that Boba Fett inclusion, and it's like, hey, people really like Boba Fett. It's like, yeah, but you kind of punked him out hard, George. Maybe maybe just leave it as, I, I don't know. Like, so much of it just stems from George not understanding his own creation, I think. And I, that's weird to say, because he created it. But I say this as an artist. Once you release something, it's kind of no longer yours. Um, at that point, you're kind of at the mercy of what people are then taking from it. And especially over a, a long enough time, the time that that Star Wars was released in theaters to the special edition was 20 years. And in 20 years, you know, your intent in 1977 doesn't really matter anymore in, in 1997 when the audience has grown up with it and taken it unto themselves to interpret the, the thing. It, it, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't belong to you anymore at that point. And I, you know, I say, no creator wants to be told that, but I say this as a creator of something, you have to, you kind of have to understand why something has resonated and it's out of your hands at that point. And to fight it is, is kind of folly. I, I, I don't, I think it's misguided. Um, you just, you kind of have to just understand why the thing resonates and maybe be grateful for it. And, don't try and tell people that they're wrong or or color their perceptions of it after that much time. Right. No, I, I get that, and it's I don't I don't disagree. Uh, I think the the other obviously the other scene that sticks out that has become uh, a cultural moment in and of itself is Han shooting first. Mm. Han, uh, that was done. And again, this is an example of Lucas kind of probably not understanding his own story structure. In the original cut, Han shoots first. Han, Han, uh, correction, shoot. Carl. Han shoots only. Yes, Han shoots only, uh, takes down Greedo in flat-out cold blood. Yep. And that moment is so key to this character's journey because it establishes him as where he is starting out from. Right, exactly. You know, this is a guy who, if it served his best interest, would gun down Obi-Wan, Luke, and the droids and not give it a second thought. Now, in fairness, I, that, I, never, I never took issue with it because he was being held at gunpoint by Greedo. <laughs> so, you know, right. it, it is what it is. I, I don't know why Lucas felt the need to like soften the blow by by making it some kind of you know uh uh 
hack hackney duel or whatever. Like it's not yeah, that, that's it's, not what's going on here. He he didn't he didn't want Han to be a cold blooded killer. And I think he failed to understood that Han needed to be a cold blooded killer in that point so we could see where this character goes. Yeah. Cause by, it, not, by not only the end of the first film, by the end of the trilogy. Yeah, which, you know, to be fair, in the first movie, there was no such, you know, foresight for that. But even in the context of the first film, you're dealing with a guy who is, like you said, he, he would do he would do that to save himself uh, without a second thought. But you, that scene adds to that character. You know what he's all about up front. So when he comes back later on, it's that much more surprising that, hey, oh my God, Han didn't just take off selfishly. He's back just to help Luke. You know, it it all serves the larger picture. It, his character has an actual arc. To be fair, Luke doesn't really have an arc. <laughs> okay? He's a farm boy longing to get off the farm. Spoilers. He gets off the farm. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> that's not really an arc. Um, Han has an arc. He starts in one place and ends at a completely different place. Um, and I, can I just say that I don't think Han, I, I really don't, I, I'm sure he does, but I'm going to say most Star Wars fans probably don't realize uh, Harrison Ford is the unsung hero of the whole original trilogy in that this whole fantastical world that we're dealing with is very fantastical and we can't you know, you and I, we don't have a frame of reference for it. Um, One might go so far to say phantasmagorical. Wow. Wow. The phantasmagorical menace? That works better. That comes later, I guess. Um, but you know who helps us understand all this crazy stuff? Han Solo, Harrison Ford. The straightest yep. of straight men in the history of cinema. <laughs> he is the straight man. He is the most like realistic person we can relate to in the whole thing. Because he's just like this guy. He's just this cool guy. Yeah. He's not talking about Empire. I mean, he you know, he mentions the Empire or whatever, but like, he's not talking about Jedi wizardry and, and or whatever. He's just cool, and you know, he's you know, he's like, what are you what are you swinging the sword around for? I got a blaster right here to land the fight much quicker. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, when when Obi like uh, Obi Wan tries to do the mind trick on him, Han totally no sells it. He's just like he laughs it off. Like, what is this? Some kind of local trouble? <laughs> you know, he doesn't care. He's he's cool, and he's he is the straightest of straight men, and you like. He no sells all of it, and by extension, we the audience get some kind of perspective on all of this stuff. We have a we have a straight man character to relate to. Um, Luke is the you know Luke we relate to because he's our point of view character, and we want him to you know succeed and whatnot. But Han is like most like us. Uh, yeah, he's he's the he's the unsung hero of the whole the whole original trilogy. Yeah, and I mean, each each character really has their their moments throughout the film, sure, and sure, sure, we we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Leia. Ah, oh, Leia's awesome. Uh, I mean, we we all 
we all fell in love with Princess Leia. That was, that was our first, the first woman we ever loved was Princess Leia, and just uh, such such a groundbreaking example of a strong female character in a time where there just weren't any. Well, and, Ripley was there too, man. <laughs> well, was Ripley? When did Aliens Alien come out? Seventy seven, I think. Seventy-eight. Uh, I think it was like seventy or seventy-nine. Um, but even still, like close enough to like, you know, be part of that. But just in a time where there were no, when there were no, you know, strong female characters, you know, here comes Princess Leia. Anything but a damsel in distress. Right. Despite the princess moniker, which you know. If you're into fantasy films or or Disney films, the princess, like you said, the damsel in distress, whose function is basically right. to be captured and just wait for to wait to be saved. Leia is not that. Is she captured? Yeah. yeah. But is she feisty as hell? Despite all that, oh yeah. <laughs> and then once she gets a blaster in her hand, she kind of saves everyone's bacon several times. <laughs> yeah. Leia's kind of the the person who was was and this is probably a terrible term, uh, uh, metaphor here, but she's the person who was just about to order a pizza, but her friends just happened to show up with the pizza. Like you knew she was going to get out of that situation her on her own power, most likely. But you know Han and Luke showing up just happens to be fortuitous. I, um, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, so. Just and again, she is she is one of the things that is so key to why this story has stuck with us for so long, and why so many people, myself included, had such an emotional reaction to her passing. Yes, her body, Carrie Fisher's body work is undeniable. She's an accomplished author, actress. She's done so many things, but things she will be remembered for the most is Princess Leia because what that character meant to so many of us to, to lose her earlier than, you know, we probably should have was just so heartbreaking for so many of us that, you know, even to this day when, when she shows up on a screen in one of the newer films, you know, you can't help but hear a sniffle here and there in the audience especially coming from my seat because it's tough not to know that ever for the majority, everyone else is still here, but we don't have her. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Leia's great, man. Um, she takes charge. Uh, and, and what's, what's again, what's, what's amazing is how much gets, how much ground is really laid in that first movie. Um, uh, so many of our memories are colored by, uh, empire and Jedi, but you know, they really just extended what was there. Uh, Leia is every bit the um, commander, the the capable leader, um, the take charge person that that she is in the in the other two movies. She's every bit of that in A New Hope. Right. Yeah, it's just such an incredible character. So as as we get ready to wrap this up. Um, I just want to talk about, lastly, obviously, Star Wars was monumental for so many things, uh, one of which being merchandising. 
Merchandise. Merchandise. Where the real money from the movie is made. True. What were some of your favorite pieces of Star Wars merchandise? Um, I'll be honest. Um, you, you and I differ in that you had many a toy and, uh, I did not. Um, Star Wars toys, you're also a little old, you're, you're also a little bit older than me. So there's that to be contented with as well. I did not have many Star Wars toys. Now I do have memories of Star Wars toys being in stores, um, and memories of, 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 friends and i'm i don't i say that tentatively because i don't remember them very well so how friend how friendly were we but kids i was around when i was very young who had star wars action figures but um for the most part man in the 80s when i was growing up there wasn't a lot of star wars merchandise star wars was like this awesome thing that was cherished by you know the the people that loved it loved it, but it its pop cultural presence definitely wasn't really there for a, for a period of time in my childhood. Yeah, um, eighty five ninety, I think like ninety five. Yeah, there was a, a, you know there was a there was a good run there. It was, where, good, it was a good ten years where Lucas just kind of shut it down. Right. Right. Um, but, but those of us that were into it were, were still super into it, you know? Right. So I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you my favorite piece of Star Wars merchandise. I, I, I don't remember. I really don't. I wish I did, but no, it's nothing's coming to me. I remember, like I said, I remember the toys, but I didn't, I didn't own any. I certainly didn't play with them with any frequency. Yeah, I think my my favorite stuff was probably as far as the toys go uh probably the x-wing and the tie fighter mm-hmm. uh, it's just you know being able to fly around and kind of reenact those scenes iconic uh, yeah but i think uh the tie fighter had like the exploding wings coming off it was just so great um as far as my overall favorite product from the original film, still just they has to be uh, the original Star Wars arcade game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, vector now that graphics. I remember. Just to this day, I will play that thing at the drop of a hat, and I'll blow the Death Star up like three, four times before I get tired of it. <laughs> I was really the game. I- in a, the game in and of itself can be started and completed. In about three minutes, maybe less. Uh, but just, oh god, the way it kind of put you in the moment of that Death Star battle was with, just with audio. Uh, with with audio, I, I think it might have been the first game to use uh, audio from an actual film in it. It's possible. It's very possible that that I do. I I do remember that vividly. Uh, uh, full cockpit version. They had it at the through the throughway mall arcade, and uh, my dad would take me there uh, occasionally, and I would play it there. And I was actually pretty good at it. I I do remember people like crowding around the machine to watch me play it, and I was I was young, dude, and I was really good at it. That that I do remember. That arcade machine. So 
Interesting question. How many times do you think we've blown up the Death Star? In, across all media? <laughs> or in video games? Across, across all video games. How many times oh, do you think we've blown up the Death Star? D- 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 dozens for me, for sure. I've got to be in the hundreds. Because <laughs> that, that arcade machine was at 7-Eleven and and oh god, any chance I got just one of seven eleven and just kept going. All I could think is is that picture of that stormtrooper with his head in his hands. I had friends in that Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's hilarious. All right, Drew. Hey, you know what's funny? Step. You're about to wrap it up. You know you know what we haven't discussed at all? And I, th- and I think this is uh, telling. We really haven't mentioned Vader. Oh. Well, again, it's this isn't meant to be like a review. No, no, I know. But I just find it interesting and, again, telling that we discuss the New Hope and our deepest memories and ties to it. And neither of us really brought up Darth Vader. You know, that's true. I can't deny that, but at the same time, I think if we wanted to launch into Vader, we we do it easily another forty five minutes, and yeah. that's just and that's just from this film. I, I'm not, like I, I'm not, obviously the character hits a stride in Empire. Uh, yeah, I I'm not so sure we could elaborate that hard in this in this film, given what we know about him. Uh, and I think that's kind of something that's going to come back up later. Well, he he definitely, as the kids are saying today, he got a glow up in in Empire. Yes, so yes, he did. I think he is he is best left for Empire. Um, but Drew, taking our first steps into a larger world. Sure have we? Sure have. This has been really fun. I'm glad you wanted to do this with us. Uh, so, folks, by all means. Let us know what you have thought of this. Let us share with us your memories of Star Wars. That I love hearing other people's memories of Star Wars. Share with us your memories. Ask us some questions. Contact us. Talk to us. We really want to hear from you. Um, interaction with each other right now is so important considering what we're all going through. It's important to stay connected in any way we can. And if you want to talk to us, if you want to reach out to the show, you can do so at the following locations. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's Do Pod. You can go to Facebook.com slash Devil's Do Pod and like our page. You can email us at the Devil's Do Pod at gmail.com, or you can find all these resources available to you at our website at the Devil's Do Podcast. Duck. Duck. Hi, I guess he's coming you okay there, buddy? I'm okay. Um, the Devil's Do Podcast.com. I had a sneeze. That decided not to happen. Can I ask you a question? Um, what's that? Um, since since things have been escalating, with every sneeze, cough, or, or or potential blowing of the nose in the last week, have you thought to yourself, "Oh God, is this it? <laughs> I got that corona." <laughs> I'm not gonna lie that, that, that I, I, that's happened to me <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> It can't be denied. It's 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 there. Um, but yeah, uh, talk to us. We want to hear from you guys. 
Uh, Drew, any last thoughts? Um, no, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I hope everyone's okay out there. And, uh, again, like I said earlier, uh, please do your part to get us over this, uh, wash your hands. Don't go out unless you have to, um, and encourage others to do the same. Uh, and together we will get through this. Uh, I have two incredible video games awaiting me right now and I'm very excited to play them and I have an incredible wife waiting for me to come oh yeah hang that out, too. <laughs> watch watch some funny stuff as I'm sure my son hopefully is in bed by now um, we appreciate you all listening to us and given the current situation we're all in Given what we've been discussing, what we'll be discussing in the future, I feel there is no better closing than may the force be with you all.